morning, everybody. Good morning to our online audience. Can we welcome our online family church? So good to have you guys with us. If you would, comment where you are watching from. It's so cool. Uh, many of you may already know this, but we have at least um, 11 different states and maybe about three or four different countries that watch us. And so we just are so honored to have you guys joining with us. So once again, church, can you just make sure they hear you good and loud? We love having you guys with us. Can you believe it's two weeks to Resurrection Sunday? Come on, somebody. I am excited. I am very excited. I'm going to throw out a little statistic to you. And it goes along with what Pastor Daniel said in passing out that card. Now, Lifeway has shown that in every 10 invites, seven people will accept that invite if you will invite them on Easter Sunday. That's huge. Come on. So I promised to do 10. Hello? And, and now, let me just encourage you. I think that each and every one of us can bring one person. Come on, I'll set the, lo- I'll set the bar low for you. Some of my leaders, I'm, I'm going to raise it up to about three, all right? But I think each and every one of us has someone that needs to be here. Does anyone know someone that needs to be here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and his life-changing message of the gospel? Does anyone know? Because if you don't, everybody, y'all just looking at me like a cow in a new gate right now. Come on, are you with me? We in this thing together, ain't we? All right, okay. Well, I just want to stir you guys. I'll be praying for you guys. I'm going to pray that God will give you open doors in your workplace, in your grocery store. Can I just share a little something with you? We'll get to the message in a moment. I go to the same grocery store almost every single time. I go to the same gas station every single time. I go to the same place Every time I go to the same mechanic. You know why? Because that's where you build relationship. Don't just think, oh, I can save $5 by getting my oil changed over here. No, keep going to those same oil change place and start opening. Let's watch God open doors as you build a relationship with those people. That's how we get people into the kingdom. Amen? And I need you guys. I'm out there. Look, y'all don't know this, but uh, probably about 25 of those that are you here are ones that I brought in. I don't want to be doing it. I can't do it by myself. It's a big city. Are you with me? And it ain't just, the pastors can't just do it either. There's all kinds of empty seats around here that needs to be filled up. Let's do this. Come on, y'all. I'm trying to encourage you. Let's do this. Let's do this. And it doesn't get any easier than getting an invitation and just handing it to someone and man, I would love for you to come to Easter with us. That easy, right? That easy. Amen? Matter of fact, can we just pray over that effort right now? All right. Father, I thank you, Lord. Lord, that you're preparing the way. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today, Lord. But, Lord, we know that in two weeks, Lord, this is an awesome, awesome opportunity to see many come into the kingdom. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that none of us would become lazy, that none of us would just relegate to thinking that someone else is going to do it. But may we all take on the personal responsibility of fulfilling the Great Commission and see to it that souls are one for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, go before us now. Prepare those invitations. Prepare the hearts of those that will come, Lord, and that will be saved, and that, Lord, will be baptized, and that will get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all the church says, amen amen and amen. In the Lord good. 
Amen. Well, hey, I want to dive right into our message today because, man, I've got a lot that I want to share with you. And let me just preface today's message by saying that today's message is mission critical. Now, what I mean by that is that it's imperative that we understand what we're going to be looking at today. I think this is the message that I have been looking forward to teaching in our all-in series, which, by the way, if you're just joining us, um, we've been on our current series, All In. I had to go back and look since last September. Come on. We've been journeying through the book of Acts, going chapter by chapter, and we're now at Acts chapter 19. So if you could just turn there with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19. While you're turning there, let me just tell you that this is going to be a two-part message because there's no way that I'm going to be able to get out everything that needs to be covered in just today's message because what I want to talk to you about is who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in your life. And so today we're going to talk about who he is, and then next week we're going to talk about his purpose in our life. Now, I said I want us to read Acts 19. You can kind of hold there, just flip over to 18 for a minute, because I'm going to first just read the end of Acts 18. How many of you know that man is the one that added the chapters and the verses just to help be able to find? That's kind of our GPS for the scripture, right? But whenever you originally see the, the text, the text was just written as one story. And so sometimes whenever you start with a chapter, it's good to go back and look at what was written at the end of the last chapter because those two flow together. Well, that's the case here. And so in Acts 18, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, let's just pause right here, and let's just consider what this scripture has to say here about this man named Apollos. It says that he was an eloquent man. Some of your translations will say that he was a learned man, a person who knew the scriptures well and who had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, who was fervent in spirit and taught accurately. The things of Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty good resume right there, right? Especially whatever you take into consideration who it was that said this about him. This was this is Luke that, that, that mentioned this about him. But then notice that it says that he only knew of the baptism of John. Now I want you to make special note of this because I believe that today we have a lot of people who like Apollos, they love God, they love his word, and they've spent a a good amount of time in it, yet there's something that they've yet to see. Let's read the next verse. In verse 26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. How many of you know that if you ever have to say something to someone, you don't stand up right in the middle of the congregation? Oh, I'm sorry. Is it too early for that? 
but you pull them off to the side and you have a conversation with them. I don't know. I just got to put a little teaching out there because some people don't get it. Sorry. But it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. <laughs> when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, keep in mind, Paul had just spent an entire year and a half with Priscilla and Aquila. So they would have been well-equipped to be able to explain to Apollos what it was that was missing. Now, I want you to turn, around, or turn to your Bible to Acts 19. Acts 19, 1 through 7. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some, what? Disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, what? Believed. So they're disciples, they're believers. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling his people to believe into the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, if you remember, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1-5. We read this in the very first opening message of this series. Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, John the Baptist himself says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who's coming after me, meaning Jesus, is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I want us to dive into what we just read. In Acts 18, we read about this man named Apollos who only knew about the baptism of John. And now here in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across a group of Christians and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now keep in mind, this could have been mm, maybe a couple of decades after Pentecost. So keep that in mind. And they said to him, no, we don't know anything about that. And the interesting thing is, I still find this to be the case 2,000 years later. There are Christians sitting in churches all over the world today that they know God. They're going to heaven. But they have never experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They've been water baptized. Praise God for water baptism. We're going to have that in a couple weeks, right? That's, that's John's baptism. But they were never baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think there are probably several reasons for that. One of the reasons is because there has been a lacking of teaching on it in the church. Hello? But the other reason is because there's a lot of misconceptions about who the Holy Spirit is. You see, a lot of people have built their theology not based on what the Bible says, but based upon a bad experience that they had or that they saw. Or 
what someone else told them was true. What I mean is there are people throughout our lives who have told us things and what they said, they were wrong in what they said. And many times we believe them because those people were, were good people, people who loved us. In many instances, dear friends and, and, and family members. And so for that reason, we believe that what they said was true. But friends, watch this. Someone can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. Are you with me? I promise you that there are things that I have said years ago, and now looking back, I was wrong. Like, I'm telling you, I remember marriage advice that I gave 20 years ago that was bad advice. <laughs> By the way, can I just say, uh, don't go looking for marriage advice for someone who's only been married for a few years. Like, just don't do it. Like, that may be a great couple. It may be your BFF. They may be a godly couple. They may love you, but watch this. Wisdom comes through knowledge that has been rightly applied over a long period of time. Let me say that again if you want to write it down. Wisdom comes through knowledge that's been rightly applied over a long period of time. But another reason that a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit is because they have had bad experiences that they've, ever, or that they've either um, had or that they've seen. They've seen eccentric personalities on TV talking about the Holy Spirit and what they saw either scared them or confused them. And so people start thinking, man, if I get involved with this Holy Ghost stuff, I'm either going to have to wear too much makeup or none at all. Come on, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of things that get associated with the Holy Spirit but has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I heard someone once say, I feel like people who talk about the Holy Spirit uh, a lot are usually weird. But can I just tell you, tell you something? The Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. Like if someone uh, it receives the Holy Spirit like, and they're weird afterwards, they were weird beforehand. Are, are you with me? So what I want to do this morning, if I can, I want to tear down some preconceived ideas that, quite honestly, I believe that the enemy has been using for many, many years to keep people from experiencing this wonderful thing called the baptism and the Holy Ghost. And if you're here and you decide at the end of this message that you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to know that that is a gift that is available for every single believer of Jesus Christ. And we would love to pray for you, by the way, and lay hands on you so that you too would receive this wonderful gift. But let me just start with some teaching. And I'd just like, if I could, to do so from the foundation up because there are a lot of different people in this room who are at different places in their experience and their understanding of the Holy Spirit. And let me just begin with this statement. The Holy Spirit is a person. I hear somebody say, oh, did he get it? No, do you mean did he get him? Because the Holy Spirit is not an it. Are you with me? He is the third member of the Trinity. He is God. There is God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. What I want you to catch through this two-part message is, is, first of all, who the Holy Spirit is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the next week, we're going to talk about what his purpose and his role is supposed to be in our lives. I thought a good way to maybe introduce the Holy Spirit would be to maybe just take a look at his nature. Because when you begin to understand the nature of the Holy Spirit, it will help you to begin to understand what is or isn't him. And one of the things that you need to know about the nature of the Holy Spirit is what is found in the meaning of his name. What I mean is there are two different ways that the original uh, word uh, it gets translated uh, for Holy Spirit. It either gets translated as spirit, like Holy Spirit, or sometimes you'll hear ghost, Holy Ghost, right? And honestly, they did that because the English translators, they had a little bit of a dilemma Because there's no one single English word that translates it well. Like there's no single word that gives a clear picture of just exactly who he is and the role that he desires to play in the lives of believers. And so to get a better understanding of of who he is, we need to take a look at the original language. And by the way, the word Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is mentioned more than 800 times in your Bible. And when we go to look at it, we have to look at it in two different languages, Hebrew and Greek, because our Bible was primarily written in Hebrew and Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic. So I want us to look at those original languages because it tells us something about the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's just start with the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. You want to try it? You got to kind of like you clear your throat a little bit. Go ahead. Ruach. And if you want to say the Holy Spirit, you say Ruach HaKodesh, right? So that's what that word is, Ruach. And the definition of the word Ruach, it actually isn't spirit or ghost. Ruach means a wind, breath, a violent exhalation or a blast of breath. And this understanding, really, it gives us uh, some insight into the nature of the Holy Spirit. This word, ruach, is actually mentioned in the very second verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Now this is the creation account, right? It says, Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit or the breath, the ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. This breath, this wind, this violent exhalation is what created the world. Now let's look at this word in the New Testament in the Greek. The word spirit or ghost is the Greek word pneuma. And again, it doesn't mean spirit or ghost. Pneuma means a current of air. A blast of breath, a strong breeze. And so you can see the dilemma that the translators had in trying to translate this word because it's talking about God, but breath and wind don't give a full understanding as to who the Holy Spirit is. One example of where this Greek word pneuma is used is in 
John 6, 63, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit. They contain his breath, and therefore they are life. Now, there's so much that we can just pull from what Jesus said right there, but one important thing that I want you to catch right here is that when we read the Bible, they aren't just words. Are you with me? But they contain the life-changing power of God within them. You see, that's why you can't separate the Spirit and the Word of God. If I can just say it this way, God's Word actually contains within it the power of fulfillment for those very words. And that's what I want you to experience. So that your Christianity isn't something stale. Or something that's memorized or robotic. But your Christianity is meant to be alive. It has breath and life on the inside of it. Now, better to understand, to better understand the, the Holy Spirit, this, this ruach, this pneuma, this wind, I thought that we would look at the characteristics of wind in the natural and then see how it parallels in the spirit. And it's my hope that this will help you to get a better understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit and that it will create a springboard for you experiencing him in your lives. So I encourage you to take notes. First characteristic that I want us to look at is this. If you're taking notes, wind is unseen. Wind is unseen. And church, this is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't someone that you can see, but you can feel his presence. And when you feel his presence, there is nothing more refreshing. Come on, somebody. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, many of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about right here. But watch this. There's many people who they have never experienced this. They're like those here in Acts chapter 19 who they've never had an experience or an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Saved. Love Jesus. Going to heaven, but never felt his presence in a life-changing way. I had someone come up to me one time after church, and they said, uh, Brother, you shouldn't run on your feelings. But I agree. But you know what? Sure is nice to feel what you're running on. Hello? Hey, feelings aren't bad. We don't need to build our faith and our Christianity on them. But I believe that God's presence is to be felt and to be experienced. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you, that is my prayer for you every time I come to church every Sunday morning. And that's not that you would be impressed with our wonderful worship or, the worship or this great preaching that you get to hear every single week. <laughs> but that you would feel his presence. And that you would come to a place in the service where you say, oh my goodness, God is here. And he wants to change my life. And really, that's why God sent the Holy Spirit, to do a work inside of us that only God can do. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This is the conversation that took place between Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper, the Thursday night before he was about to be crucified. And the majority of this conversation is about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father. 
and he will give you another advocate. Some of your translations may say a comforter or a counselor. And listen to what his job is. To help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The scripture then goes on to say this. It says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You see, the world is only comfortable with what they can see with their eyes and understand with their minds. But the Holy Spirit supersedes and exceeds that. The Holy Spirit is someone whose presence you can feel. Verse 17 says, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The scripture says that the world cannot accept him, but sadly, it seems to be true of much of the church also. Because for many, God is just a set of beliefs. He's a a checklist that they check next to their to-do list every week. But can I just tell you something? God is not a doctrine, nor is he a religion. God is a person. A person who very much, passionately, if I can say it that way, wants to have a relationship with you and me. Can I just say this relationship that God wants to have with us, it is unlike any other. Because every other relationship that we have in our lives is outside of us. And what I mean by that is our family like, they're, they're with us. They're outside of us. They're with us. Our friends are, are with us. But watch this. God is within us. And see, that's why God can easily say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because he's not just with us. It is God in us. Now, many of you, I know, already know this concept. But many don't. You see, the scripture teaches that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are that, I think it's oikos, right, in the Greek. We are that house that he dwells in. That's why we say we are the church, because God doesn't dwell in buildings. God doesn't live in this auditorium. Are are you with me? For the follower of Jesus, God's spirit takes up residence within us. And watch, it's my hope, it's my prayer that we would become more aware of that presence and recognize that he is with us. He's with you even whenever you don't recognize that he's with you. He's with you when you don't feel him with you. Pastor, how can you say that so confidently? Well, I say it so confidently because God himself said that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he would be with us forever. I remember one time, the Clay County Fair is coming. Y'all excited about that? Uh, I love it. I love taking my family to it. Uh, My girls are getting older now. I don't know if I'll be able to wrangle them in and get them to go, but um, it used to be one of our highlights, uh, probably for me because I love elephant ears. Um, I'm a fan of them. Come on now, don't, don't act like you don't kind of glutton a little bit when you go to the Clay County Fair and then repent on Sunday. <laughs> but, um, and those turkey legs, that's my wife's vice, right? Somehow it doesn't end up on her hips, but it does mine. I don't know, I don't get it. But um, I remember one time we were at the Clay County Fair, and one of my girls was really young, and uh, she had just gotten off of one of the rides. And the entrance to the ride was the 
exact opposite as the exit. And so whenever she got off of the ride, I saw her looking for me, but, but she couldn't find me. But I saw her, right? And immediately I saw this look of fear come over her face because she thought that she had been lost. But what she didn't realize was that I had my eye on her the whole time. I mean, from the moment she walked in until I took 100 pictures the whole time she's riding it with that joy on her face. I never took my eyes off of her. And so I rushed over to her, seeing that fear in her eyes. And she looked at me. She says, Daddy, where were you? And I told her, I said, baby, I never took my eyes off you from the moment you got on the ride until the ride was over. She just didn't know it. Church, can I just tell you the same is true of our Abba, of our Father. There's never been a moment that God has taken his eyes off of you. Hey, his eye is on the sparrow. And if his eye is on the sparrow, then how much more is his eye on you? You may think. He took his eye off of you, but you'd be wrong, friend. His eye has always been on you. His eye is not only on you, but his spirit was within you, guarding you, protecting you, surrounding you. Just like the wind, even though you don't see him, he's there. Here's the second thing I want to bring to your attention about wind, about this ruach, about this pneuma, and that is that Wind is unpredictable. You never know exactly where it's going to blow. That's the reason that they have to put those wind socks out for the airports. They never know exactly. That's what they use to get information in real time, right? You never know where the wind's going to blow. Now, this is the part of God that some people don't like. Are you with me? Because we want to put God in a box. We like it when he's predictable. I mean, we like a tucked-in God, right? But this isn't who God is. God is constantly doing a new thing on the earth. And I believe that part of the reason is because God, if he did the same thing every single time, if he did that, we would start to worship the system rather than worship him. What I mean is, too often we have an experience with God, and then all of a sudden we make the experience holy rather than God holy. And we see this throughout history where God manifested his presence in a certain way, and then man began to box God into that experience. So people then began to experience uh, or, or to seek the experience rather than seeking God. But you know what then happens? Nothing happens because they're seeking an experience and not God. And then people get confused. And the reason why is because God wants to do something different, but they're still expecting him to move in the way that he's moved in the past. Church, this is where denominations come from. Are you with me? A person has an experience or a group of persons have an experience and, and pop comes a denomination. Now, are there some things about God that don't change? Absolutely, without question. And we should stand strong on those things. As a matter of fact, as a group of believers here at Destiny Church, we have a statement of faith that we adhere to. And if you ever want to know what that is, you can go on our website, and it's right there. But while we have this very 
predictable structure among us, we also have this unpredictable nature of God that we embrace and actually welcome. Jesus said this in John 3, 8. The wind, by the way, guess what Greek word that is right there? The pneuma, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You think God's trying to teach you something about the Holy Spirit? The pneuma, the wind, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so what happens is you have God who comes and, 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 and speaks through a burning bush, which God did only one time, just once. But then man comes along and says, let's start a denomination and let's name our church the church of the burning bush. And they tell people, if you haven't had God speak to you through a burning bush, then you've not heard God because that's how God speaks. No, that's how God spoke that one time. But God is not limited to our experience, nor is he limited to how he has moved in the past. God is is God, friends, and he cannot and he will not be controlled by the limitations that we place on him. If we tell God that we will only hear him if he speaks in a certain way, then we may never hear him. Hello? I had someone once say to me, well, God, you'd have to write it on the wall if you ever wanted me to do that. <laughs> to which I'm like, Really? Like, first of all, the person knew the context of when God did write it on the wall, King Belshazzar. <laughs> they had never used that reference. But anytime we tell God that we'll only receive from him in a certain way, you can almost be assured that he's going to do it in another. There was one time whenever a group of people came up to Jesus, and they brought their blind friend. And they didn't ask Jesus to heal him. They asked Jesus to lay his hands on them. Do that hand thing, Jesus, right? Now, that may not seem significant, but, but their request was that Jesus would do the same thing that he had done before. They were doing what man often does, and they were looking at the system. And what I love about Jesus and what he does in response is instead of just laying his hands on the blind man, he spits in the dirt, makes mud out of it, and then rubs it on the man's eyes. And I believe that this act was Jesus saying, I want to heal this man, and I will. But don't put me in a box as to how I'm going to do it. Remember that time that this Roman centurion came to Jesus and asked him to go and to heal his servant? And Jesus said that he would. Jesus was even willing to go to his house, but the soldier says, Lord, I'm unworthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. See, that soldier understood what faith was all about. He hadn't been indoctrinated with all the ways that man might expect God to heal. And because of his faith, Jesus committed him, saying that he hadn't seen such great faith in all of Israel. See, faith is believing that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And I can tell you from experience that some of the greatest things I've seen God do, they weren't done in a worship service, a church service, a conference, or any other type of scheduled meeting. Why? Because God is unpredictable. 
We can't just tuck our God into something that our brain understands. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is bringing revival here to America, but it isn't going to be because we get all of our systems and our structures in order, but it's going to happen when we pursue the presence of God. And it's going to require us understanding that God is unpredictable. Like God may want to move in the middle of a birthday party. He may want to move right in the middle of your business deal. Hey, he may want to move while you're checking out your groceries and in your conversation with your cashier. He may prompt you to pray with your mechanic or with your barber. You say, well, pastor, I've never seen God move like that before. That's because most people aren't even open to God moving in those ways. Let me ask you a very sincere question. When do you think that the Spirit of God wants to move? Better believe it. I hope you don't just think Sunday mornings. No, always. Now think about that. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that, that the Spirit of God wants to move, not just on Sunday school, but on Monday school and Friday night school? And it, mm-hmm, okay. Let's look at the third characteristics of when that parallels with the Holy Spirit, and that is this. Wind is powerful. Hello? Wind can generate electricity. It can sail a ship. It can destroy a city. Come on, we've seen that many times right here in our own state, where the power of wind can just flatten everything in its path because wind has great power. Now, this is an important characteristic to understand about the Holy Spirit because many of you are facing something right now that is far beyond your ability to fix it. You need something that is more powerful than you. Or if I can just say it this way, you need someone more powerful than you. Like, God help us if we only regulate ourselves to what we can fix. But church, I implore you to get to know the person of the Holy Spirit, and you will experience his power. Jesus gave us his promise in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word power is the Greek word dunamis. And literally what it means is miracle working power. It means the ability to do what you can't do in your own strength. Friends, there is going to be times in life, and I'm sure you've already been there, where you just can't pull yourself up by your bootstrap. I said this last week, so let me throw it out again just as a good repetitive teacher, right? There are often times that we believe lies like, well, God only helps those who help themselves. No, God gives us the power to do what we cannot do in of ourselves, and thank God for that. I could lift myself up out of a pit. Hello? I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. Jesus wasn't lost. I was the one lost. Come on, somebody. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes up on you. See, God doesn't want his church weak or impotent. But instead, his divine power has given us everything that we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You can tap into the power of God to be the spouse that you're called to be. 
You can tap into the power of God to be the parent that you're called to be. You can tap into the power of God to make a difference in your workplace. Students, you can tap into the power of God to make a difference in your school. Whenever I was in Bible college, I read about a great revivalist whose name was Charles Finney. He's considered to be the father of modern revival here in America. And he was a 16th century uh, attorney, also a Presbyterian minister. And in his own words, he was comfortable knowing God on what he called an intellectual level. I'm sorry, I can't help but to ask, is that you? Anyway, in his life, according to his own testimony, he was very lifeless, very predictable, very dry. I see these feeds show up in my social media where people talk about where they once were a Christian and now they're no longer a Christian and they give all these explanations. And, and when I listen to them, it's because they were all up here. And they were up here. When you have an experience with God, my friend, look, I hear that stuff, and then people, well, Chris, that's just your, no, it's not just my, I've experienced God, man. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Hello? And when you experience God, it changes everything. Everything. Finney says his life was, he says his life was very lifeless, very predictable and very dry. But then he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. These are his very words. He said, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity. That fired me up when I read that because when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't know how to best explain it, so I came up with the best analogy that I could give. And it was, I would tell this to people, and I still say it to this day, it was like I went over there and grabbed hold of that electric socket. Now, you can look at me, you know, like I'm crazy, but I'm not. I'm just telling you the experience that I had. And so when I heard this experience that he had, I'm like, wow, okay, (laughs) that's awesome. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves, in waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. Why did it seem like the breath of God? Because it was the breath of God. Friends, there are some of you that are here this morning, some of you watching online, that it is mission critical in your marriage, in your job, with your kids, with your health, with your emotions, and better yet, your Christianity, that you get some fresh wind in your sails, to lift you and to propel you for all that God has for you. Which leads me to the fourth and the last characteristic of wind, which might be just my favorite, and that is that wind is refreshing. When Jody and I lived in Kentucky, uh, we lived in a little cabin that was right by the lake. Jody would often open up 
the windows where we had catched the wind that came off of the lake and it would blow throughout the cabin. I took a lot of naps whenever she did that. Why? Because the wind was refreshing. Refreshing in a way that brought me rest. Church, I have to tell you that one of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit isn't just the power to do the miraculous. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I am all about all nine gifts of the Spirit. Hello? But, like, I'm even more grateful for how God's Spirit brings rest to my soul and how he quenches my thirst whenever I'm in a dry and a weary place and how he causes me to mount up on wings as eagles as to where my problems are underneath me. I'm not saying that there aren't any problems. It's just that they're below me and not hanging over me. Hello? Listen to what God's word has to say in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And how does he get it to us? It says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. I think if I had one hope and one goal through this message is, the, is it would be that you would not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but that you would long to get to know him. It's a shame, but it's often been within the walls of the church that we've seen the most quenching of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses this very thing that the church in Thessalonica when he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And I think that those words ring just as true today to the 21st century church. Do not quench the Spirit of the living God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Church, here, if there's one thing that I could just ask of you or request of you, it would be this. Invite him into your life. As a matter of fact, uh, if I could just ask three things, three things that will prevent you from um, keeping, uh, from receiving this wonderful gift or taking it for granted. First one is this, let go of fears and misperceptions. I'm talking about things that we believe, but they aren't based on what the Bible says. Because you know what I found? Christians can often be some of the quickest to knee-jerk react. What I mean by that is I've seen countless uh, believers who've had a bad experience in regards to the things of the Spirit, and so they allow fear to set in or, or a false belief. This is why we've got to know what God's word says because it protects us and it gives us discernment so that we don't get caught up into the misperceptions about who God is. You guys have heard me say this before, but don't even believe the things that I say if they do not line up with the word of God. Church, my heart for each and every one of you is that you would approach the person of the Holy Spirit with a blank page, allowing his word to fill in those pages. And when you do that, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit is not only uh, someone that, you know, that welcomes you, like he passionately desires and longs to have communion with us. 
And by the way, and I just want to reiterate this, the Holy Spirit does not make you goofy. I mean, it's, I have to say it because goofy Christians have given the Holy Spirit a bad name. Like, if you want to know what a spirit-filled Christian looks like, look at Paul. Don't look at the goofy guy that's doing goofy things. Look at Peter, right? Or even better yet, look at Jesus. He was unpredictable, but he wasn't goofy. People weren't turned off by him. They were turned on to him. The only ones that were turned off by him were the religious ones who were insecure. And so here's my encouragement for you, and it's found in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust God. This is how the message translation. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. So let go of your fears and your misconceptions of God. And the second one is this. Go all in. And really, I say this to you, not just in the topic of the Holy Spirit, but in all things regarding your faith, go all in. Like dipping your toes in the water will never equate to being fully submersed. It will never allow you to experience all that God has for you. You can't go just halfway. Are you with me? Like you can try, but it's not going to work. And honestly, I think this is where so many Christians are. They don't realize that there's a life in Christ that is so much more than just checking off your Christian duties of going to church on Sunday and praying over your meals. I mean, do those things, but don't limit your faith to just those things. Because if you live that way, friend, you're missing out big time. Listen, I know that many of you are already all in. You know that there's nothing better than giving 100% of your life to God. But for those of you that have yet to go all in, I promise you that you are missing out on some of the best parts of your Christian life. Because the best parts, they're the ones where you've got God right in the center. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Look at me for just for a minute because I know there are some that you're still trying to grab this. Some of you are like on board and you're like, amen. Some of you are like, I hear you, don't understand, doesn't make sense. I get it. I remember the time when I got on my knees. No one was around. No one was watching. And I was saying to God, God, I want to know you. I really want to know you. And you know what happened? I experienced God. I heard his voice. First time I ever heard his voice. And I heard these words, Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, some of you Christians already can quote Jeremiah 29, 11. Understand something. I didn't know there was a book called Jeremiah. I sure didn't know there was a 29th chapter or an 11th verse. And so I go and I open it up. And at that time, I was really unsure, like, God, you want to use a guy like me, a pot-smoking idiot? Can I be honest? Can I be transparent in church? okay to be real in church? That's what I was, right? And arrogant, prideful, right? Still working on that a little bit, right? And if you ain't, that means that you're prideful. Ah, 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 right? So I go and I look it up and come to find out there's a book, Jeremiah, and there's a 29th chapter. And so I read the 11th and the 12th and the 13th verse. As a matter of fact, I probably read it 100 times. I've got it memorized. It's been 29 years. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will go to me, you will pray to me, you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me 
with all of your heart. See, that scripture right there gives us an incredible promise. But watch this. It has a condition tied to it. The promise is that we will find God. But the condition is whenever we come and we seek him with all of our heart. When we're all in. Sounds like a good series title. I'm just saying. Church, my hope is that we'll all get to the place in God to where we say, God, if you have it available to me, I want it all. No questions asked. So I want to encourage you, let go of your fears and misconceptions and go all in with God. And lastly, develop an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, this is his purpose for your life. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But God the Father has a role. Jesus the Son has a different role. And the Holy Spirit has a role. One that you very much need and I need in our lives. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you that all three of those roles are mentioned in one scripture in the Bible, in a benediction? How many of y'all know what a benediction is? Like a benediction, is, it's a closing prayer. A lot of times you'll hear me do a benediction or Pastor Daniel do a benediction at the end of the service. I will often say, may the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you peace, right? That's a benediction. And there are a lot of benedictions throughout the books of the Bible. But I want to look at the benediction of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This scripture highlights God's various roles which is my heart for you today, that you would receive him in each of his roles. Let me read that same verse to you. I'm going to read it from the message translation. The amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ. The extravagant. What is extravagant? That means it exceeds the bounds of reason. doesn't make sense. The extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. My concern is that many of you will know God the Father and that you'll know Jesus and receive what he did for you on the cross, but then you will have lived your life here on earth without ever experiencing and knowing the person of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And I want you to know him so desperately because we desperately need him. Write this down if you're taking notes and then we're going to close in prayer. Write, God the Father loves me. God the Son saves me. God the Holy Spirit is with me. Each member of the Trinity has a role to play in our life. Let me repeat it again. God the Father loves me. God the Son saves me. God the Holy Spirit is with me. And I want to end in prayer based on those roles that we just read. I know that today we've been talking about God the Holy Spirit. But some of you don't even realize that God loves you. I'm going to ask if you would just stand for just a moment with me. Stand quickly to your feet. But friend, God loves you. His love for you 
is not based on what you have done, be it good, be it bad. Did you catch that? It doesn't matter how many, you can't earn God's love, nor can you discount love, God's love based on the things that you have done. God loves you because he chose to love you. And God loved you so much that he sent his son to come and to save you. And friends, this is what we call the wonderful good news of the gospel, where God makes us righteous, means that he puts us in right standing with God so that our sins, that they will be thrown into the sea of forgetfulness and so that we could have this wonderful relationship with God. And then we could receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the power to be his witnesses on this earth. But I just want to ask, before I pray and we go back into worship, who's here this morning and you are not in relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've held to a form of theology or maybe you've even believed rightly about Jesus in your mind, but you have never cried out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. And friend, we all need the mercy of God because Romans 3, 23 teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Jesus told us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. The only way, friend, that you and I get to go to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ in the price that he paid at Calvary and on the cross. Are you with me? It was his shed blood that washes clean our sin. Though it is scarlet, he turns it into white as snow. And I just believe with all of my heart that there's somebody here and some people online that you're not in right standing with God. Maybe you've been going to church for years, but you have yet to be all in with him. And you would say, I want to be all in. I want to experience this life that we've been talking about today. I don't want to live some stale Christian life. I don't want to be robotic in my Christianity. But I want to know him. Like really know him. And have fellowship with him. If that's you, I'm just going to ask. I'm going to ask you to do this very thing. I'm not going to do the head bow and eyes closed thing. And here's why. Because if you're going to bow your head and close your eyes, no one's looking around. You're like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus. Whoop, no one, hope no one looks. Then what's that mean about your faith walk? So here's what I'm doing right now. I'm going to ask every head to be up and every eye to be open and everyone to be looking around. And I want to ask this question. Who would be bold enough to say, man, I know I can't save myself. I know that I need Jesus. And friend, let me tell you something. Every Christian in this room that has prayed this prayer, because I know that's many, right? They have done that at one point and said, I'm in. I, I was that. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I did them both. Like, I went all. If Jesus isn't your Lord, if he isn't the Lord of your life, if he isn't number one, number one, and you want him to be number one, I want to pray with you right now. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender that says, Jesus, I'm all in. I want to serve you. I want to know you. I don't want to stick my toe in the water. I want to be all in, fully submersed. If that's you, would you put your hand up right now? Put it up. I'm going to pray with you. 
Who, who, whose hands are up? Raise your hands. Raise your hands if that's you. Yep. All right. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Who else? I'm blocking out the light so I can see. Come on. Who else? Yeah. Yep. All right. Who else? Yep. Anyone else? It's, it's, it's good. It's okay to look around right now. I'm not giving you permission. Yeah. Anyone else? Those of you watching online, I feel compelled in my spirit that there's someone, I don't know if you're watching live or if you're watching this a little later on, but right now is the time for you, friend. It's the time for you to call out to God. And friend, he'll save you. He'll lift you up out of the pit and he'll put your feet on a solid rock to stay. And the rock is Jesus. And so I want to ask you to join in with those that have raised their hand here today and that are going to confess, I'm all in to Jesus. We're going to pray this prayer to Jesus right now. Because the Bible says that if we believe in our heart that he's the Lord, confess with our mouth that he's Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we're going to pray that prayer right now. Especially those of you that raised your hand, pray this from the bottom of your heart right now. Pray, Lord Jesus. Pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And now, I want to know you and make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.